episode six of Never Seen, the podcast where we watch the films missing from our filmographies. There's glaring gaps in our film education, the classic or immortal movies people are shocked we've never seen. I'm Jenny, your host, and joining me as always and ever and forever, I hope, are my two besties, the lovely Stacey. All right, Babs. Hey. And the ever lovely Ali. Hey. Oh, it's different. Hey. <laughs> it was it was very similar. It was still a very sing songy hello, but um I, I enjoyed I enjoyed I, the I hyped myself I up for that so much. <laughs> I panicked because I realised I didn't know what I was gonna say, so then I just went, oh, all right, Babs <laughs> um freaked out. So it's what a great start. What a great start. Oh, it's spooky. It's ha- like it I know it's not technically by the time this episode comes out, but obviously we're all just so full of Halloween spooky wonders. season. Yeah jitters that we can't even intro <laughs> uh, can't even do ooh, spooky things spooky. Ooh, tell horror stories but let's not let's because not because this episode uh was my choice and the choice was blade runner Yay! never seen it Ever. But you should, we should just leave a little like space after you say the film for the collective gasp of the audience <gasps> Do you know what? If I can find a free soundboard, <laughs> there'll just be farts all over the whole episode. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You yeah. just want the, the Nick Frost what from yep. from Spiced or the um or the uh have you ever seen the Italian horror movie Demons? Yeah, there's a brilliant what the fuck in that that you should definitely put in. <laughs> Probably better to use either of those than the Angelina Jolie Maleficent. What? 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 What are you doing? I feel like we did that for days on end when that first appeared. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've got a little list of things to get through uh, to set us up to talk about Blade Runner. Our usual little script, you know, of uh, when it was released, who directed it, who was in it. I even wrote down a little synopsis. Um, so we'll just crack on with that. And we'll do our usual from there on. Who's seen okay. it? Who hasn't seen it? Who likes it? Who hates it? What did you love? What did you hate? Blah, 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 blah. We'll do all of that. <laughs> it's going to be one of those episodes, guys, to tell you. I'm glad you're setting up the expectations right from the start, to be fair. <laughs> Good, right? You're, you're the one who's going to edit it. You can do, we can, it can all go to pot. I don't, yeah, I don't have to edit it. You're, you're the one who has to edit it. I have to go through this thing several times over listening, thinking, can I cut? Can I cut? I can't cut. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I leave long pauses, I'm thinking I could cut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Blade Runner released in 1982. Fun fact: I was one year old. Uh, I wasn't even a twinkle. Oh, Lee. <laughs> and I was 12. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. <laughs> It's Lee's an old man. Let's laugh again. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is why I like picking really old ones where I'm not born either. You and know? we look forward to those ones because we can all say wasn't born. Not our fault. Exactly. Exactly. So directed by Ridley Scott, who we also know from Thelma and Louise, Alien, Hannibal, G.I. Jane. You can stop me if these are like enough ones. Uh, Martian, <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven, Gladiator, Prometheus. Ugh. And more recently, House of Gucci. <laughs> I haven't seen it. So oh, 
don't don't do it to yourself it's bad it's real bad that's one of the things I've heard about it which is why mm. I'm like nah I don't need to yeah don't, don't. need to don't need to. We'll have to have a conversation about Ridley Scott's um, filmography, his track record. Yeah, we might we might have to dip into that once I'll get through yeah. this little list, and that might be our first little port of call. I think a little Ridley Scott filmography dip of the toe. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, the film was uh, screenplay was written by uh, Hampton. Fra- I want to say Francher. Francher. Yeah, Francher. And David Webb Peoples. Yeah. Peoples. Nice. Uh, based on the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Now, you see, that's an author's name that I do recognise, but I cannot yeah. think that I've ever read any. I don't of think I have. Either. No, but there's a lot of, I mean, I've read a lot of, I've read a lot of Dick in my time because um, <laughs> so he, he's one of my favourite authors. So, yeah, that's what it says in the gents. Um, is this where we start a spin-off called Never Read? <laughs> <laughs> Basically it is, yeah. Yeah, I think we already started that one. Did we start that one a while? So, um, but yeah, so again, jumping ahead, but the release of Blade Runner kind of kicked, re-kicked off his career. He was He was a science fiction author in the 50s. Mm. where he was so ahead of his time and he was kind of like a non-name really he wasn't one of the big superstars of science fiction in the in the the 50s and 60s this came out and kind of caught everybody's attention and they realized how contemporary he he read compared Mm. to a lot of other authors at the time um and consequently a lot of his his stories and and novels have been optioned as movies so he wrote the original story that total recall was based on Ooh, he, okay. he wrote the original story that um screamers was based on and uh, what was the other one minority report i've um, not seen that Pike, oh, God, minority God. report yeah or the other yeah. one that he said was it screamers what screamers. Was it? yeah, yeah the screamers, screamers was like a bit of, but he but it basically he he became like a the flavor of the month kind of, well mm. flavor of hollywood and he was just getting lots of his stuff were getting picked up because they were very kind of uh modern ideas yeah but he, he was a big again I'm, I'm drifting but he was he was a big ideas man rather than you know he wasn't all rocket ships and mm. and bug mm. monsters he was much more paranoid than that yeah. um so so a lot of his stuff and i think what you can do with his stories is he puts a lot of he also wrote the the novel uh man in the high castle that was turned into a tv series um oh, okay. so he's done a whole yeah he did a whole ton of stuff sadly he became famous after he died um he didn't live long enough to see blade runner released even he 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 got to see like a show reel um they gave him a preview of a show and he was just completely blown away by it but he died before um the premiere before so yeah so he didn't really get a taste of the the um the kudos that he got after which is uh, a bit of a shame but that's uh but we could do a whole podcast about philip k dick on his own (laughs) he's he's he was a yeah there's a bizarre backstory there but sorry if we That's your introduction. Do, I should do do no more, but I suppose if we do a bit of a a little spin, a little special, hey, sci-fi special, then we'll come back to him uh, when we think about sci-fi films we've never seen, which is probably <laughs> lots <just> of them. <laughs> <laughs> so the 
So our cast for Blade Runner included our leading man, Harrison Ford, who played Decker, the Blade Runner, who is basically a cop. Uh, Rutger Hauer played Batty. Sean Young, Sean Young as, in, as a female woman, played Rachel. Edward James Olmos played Gaff. M. Emmett Walsh played Bryant. Do you know, I didn't recognise him in the film, but when I saw his picture and name on IMDb, totally recognised him. Yeah, he's been an awful lot of yeah. stuff. We had Daryl Hannah, had no idea she was in this. Daryl Hannah as Pris, William Sanderson as Sebastian, Brian James as Leon, Joe, Joe, sorry, Joe Turkle as Tyrell, Joanna Cassidy as Zora, James Hong as Chow, Morgan Paul as Holden, and Kevin Thompson as Bear. So, that's a, a kind of a small synopsis because um, obviously we're expecting that most people have seen this film. Otherwise, why are you listening? Or, <laughs> you know, may have watched it uh, when we announced it last episode so they could watch along and listen in. Uh, we eventually watched the final cut, didn't we? Yeah. We did. The film. So, uh, a little synopsis, which, yep, I found it online because if I tried to write my own synopsis, it would be like an hour long, <laughs> which would be silly. So, in the smog-choked dystopian LA of 2019, that I found interesting. Mm-hmm. That's not in the synopsis. Uh, Blade Runner, Rick Deckard, is called out of retirement to terminate all replicants who have escaped to Earth seeking their creator for a way to extend their short lifespans. I mean, that's such a light, light synopsis <laughs> of what is in this film. Yeah. And so I would say that synopsis is exactly what I would have told you yeah. before watching it again. Because I've seen it before, but only once, and it was many moons ago, and that was literally all I could remember about it. I was like, I feel like Harrison Ford is after some people, (laughs) and I don't think they're real people, and that's about as much as (laughs) my brain had held on to. I went into this film, and I really didn't know anything about it. Um, I'd seen some sci-fi specials. I think Lee and I, we watched one. It's like a a four-hour or something. Yeah. Sci-fi special uh, documentary so, thing. I can't think what it's called. In Search of Tomorrow or something like that. Yeah, was it? something like that. It's part of that whole In Search of um, thing. They've done In Search of Darkness as well, which is all about that was it. Yeah, the, the horror ages. ones. Yeah. Um, and watch bits on there, but even through that, I didn't feel like I got a good idea of what the film is actually about. Um, and then I sat down and watched it, and I must say, I was fixated on watching it. Um, from start to pretty much from start to finish, um, apart from when I got interrupted by my mother, who was concerned about a thing <laughs> in her emails that I had to sort out. Um, but aside from that, I barely scrolled on my phone. I think the only time I scrolled on my phone was that typical thing of, what do I know you from? Yeah, we don't know that person from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's about the only time I really going to look because i have to say guys this film was a hit for me if you couldn't already tell from the okay you know, the little in I, my voice am, and everything else yeah I'm, okay i'm i'm pleasantly surprised <laughs> it, it certainly apparently well we'll wait to hear what the state says about it but it, I, I was always braced for, for yeah. okay yeah. i think i really enjoyed it because i i really enjoy um noir films like mm-hmm. from the 40s, yeah, mostly the 40s yeah. noir. 
really enjoy them. And of course, this is like a neon noir. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that flavour of it and the cinematography and the way it was lit and filmed. Um, it felt like it was really leaning into that. Maybe it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but I just I was just absorbed by it straight away. I think I do think I need to watch it again. Yeah. To catch all the bits that I did miss here and there, because there were there were a few moments here and there where I got a little bit lost. Yeah. Um, it felt like I've just blinked and missed something, and I've possibly missed something important. <laughs> but, yeah. And I might have to go back and watch it. But overall, uh, I really enjoyed it. I did start to watch disc two in my DVD set because you know there's comedia guys. It's a good mm. thing. Um. I did try to start watching that, but it was getting late and uh, I had to go to bed. But um, I will watch it later. Although, as I messaged Lee last night, I must say, I messaged Lee to say about the documentary, but I didn't give him any spoilers to say whether or not I liked the film. No. Well done. Keep him in suspenders. I don't know why this has suddenly happened. Like it's it's like it's suddenly become like an unspoken rule that we do not discuss it <laughs> before we record. It's like suddenly it's like we need to lock this shit down and no clues, no hints. We need to drop this bombshell on on the night. I mean, to be fair, if either of you were on Letterboxd, my cat would be out of the bag <laughs> like instantly because every time I watch a film, I have to I have to log it on letterbox well, so you would know that i'd watched it and what i thought of it I mean, the, the only time we've, we've we've bent that rule or broken it slightly is when stace and i messed each other about the great escape yes just me messaging jenny will will lee set like take out a, a, a place a hit upon me for this <laughs> but Not i was yet. Pleasantly surprised that I did enjoy this so much because um, I, I hoped it would because I do enjoy sci-fi and I do enjoy at times only if it's really well done and this was I do enjoy a film that also makes you think as you're watching if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, and I enjoyed that about it and as we dig in deeper to parts of the story and the replicants which are basically um, like androids really aren't they yeah i think i think yeah it's kind of it's kept kind of vague in in the books they are definitely androids yeah Mm -hmm. uh in i i think i think they're essentially clones or organic in the in the movie they're they're not you know there's no cogs and wires and shit Mm. in it i don't think they're like the androids in alien like ash and that kind of thing i think if you if you cut up a, a replicant they they've got the body parts and the organs and and stuff like that inside but that's that's probably just down to my interpretation of it well Um, i think also going by because it it, and what i also like was he had the opening crawl mm -hmm. later on the gate which was nice because i like the whole we're going to explain backstory foundations to you before you go into the film so you've got an idea of what's going on yeah um and I got the idea from from that that these guys, because they have to be killed on site, which was called retirement, not yeah. execution. Um, when you sorry, when you see them get shot, um, you can see that they're it's all blood and guts and things. Yeah. So I get the impression they're more um, well meat. What's the yeah. word? <laughs> they're more human than not. I guess. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
What about you, Stace? What was that? Because you said you put it on your letterbox, but I am on that. So. But you, yeah, but you haven't had a, you haven't done a spoiler for yourself. Um, I actually think so. I remember enjoying this film when I saw it the first time, and I remember the first time I watched it as well. I felt a bit of pressure to like it because it's one of Richie's favourite films, and it's also one of like nerd dumb's favorite film yeah. <laughs> um, so it was on a bit of a pedestal the first time i watched it so i will say i actually enjoyed it even more this second time round, um because i think i was able to i was divorced from the sort of um sort of big uppery that i was getting yeah. at the time that i first watched it um because there's a lot of pressure on you to like something when you're in a you know you're in a bit of a new relationship and your partner's like watch this it's one of my favorite films and you feel mm. like if i hate it is he gonna dump me because these are the sorts of thoughts that you know early 20s stacy insecure stace would have is that people would leave her over a taste in movies <laughs> yeah. well that's only if you're dating me I, cause I, I remember going on a date, having a date with somebody and watching uh, My Neighbour Totoro. Mm-hmm. And when she hated it, I thought, this ain't going nowhere. How can you hate My Neighbour Totoro? Like, even if you don't like it, but you can't hate yeah, it because it's proper, so beautiful. Yeah, just didn't well, didn't engage with it at all. And I thought, right? yeah, there's no middle ground. <laughs> I, I always wonder how you pronounce that character's name. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so like what I appreciated this time round that I don't think I'd quite got at the time either because I was a naive little youngling was how much this movie speaks to like the nature of humanity and stuff. And like, so like, we're going to spoil the the bejesus out of this, by the way, just the the traditional spoiler warning for the start, just in case. Um, One of the things that I found really interesting on this watch is that when, when I watched it the first time is I remember thinking of Harrison Ford as the hero. But actually, he's not even a little bit, is he? He's like he, he's a very unheroic action man. Yeah, really. Yeah. He's, he's he can't throw a punch. No. He gets his ass kicked all the way through. Well, it, it wasn't even that really for me. It was more his motivations because, like yeah. the the replicants. I know the two dude replicants seem to want to be stirring up some shit, but the two lady ones didn't seem that bothered about bothering anybody. So it seemed to me like he was just like, you know, they called it. Yeah, exactly. It felt very sort of like, oh well, I'm a cop and I've got to do this thing. And uh, and and I I hadn't realised before that that motivation is actually. A, 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 not not a very good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean these are like they're, they're slaves who have escaped. Yeah, they're they're manufactured he's... slaves who've, yeah. who've escaped. So yeah. there, there's some weird. I mean, it's not spelled out explicitly really at all. You really have to, you know, read between the lines and mm. and, and and pick up. It's all like subtext and stuff like that. Although they do literally say we're slaves or so, or something along those lines mm. at some point. But yeah, but but it is yeah. It's and it doesn't. I I don't think it really kind of takes a stance either. It's a film that likes to you. Know, it wants you to make up your own mind, and it goes well. Yeah. You know, here's you know decades. He's just doing a job. He's basically to him. He's basically you know getting rid of machinery that's faulty. Mm. That's that's the way they see it. But and I think before, if you're thinking like the history of that world before Blade Runner, that's what the replicants were. They were more um, artificial. And then with this, the, the these new this new version of the replicants, the the Nexus Six versions, 
I think that's where it suddenly becomes a bit of a blur um, about what's about the ethics of it, really. Mm. But um, well, I think yeah, that's sorry. why it was really clever to like to to cast somebody like Harrison Ford, because you're almost a bit sort of bamboozled into thinking of him as the good guy straight away because he's so handsome and charming, and you know he's a little bit adorable actually. <laughs> um, and then. Yeah, and then you get to the sit like I mean I'm skipping really far ahead, but you get to that really questionable scene with Rachel where he sort of forces himself on her. Yeah, I'm glad you um, raised that because I was going to talk about that as well. Yeah, well that, th- th- this was one of the things I found quite interesting because like I say, the first time I saw this film, I just thought like, oh, he's like hunting down these like fugitives. It's like it, it was like my brain didn't engage with the fact that actually they were slaves and also they were scared and also he was a bit of a twat. Um, but that scene in particular really interested me in a very uncomfortable way because it showed it showed you just how little he actually thinks of replicants as as potentially people mm-hmm. um, and more just like objects of, you know, just things that just exist and then they disappear when they're ready. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a weird, again, that's a really weird scene that you kind of have to make your own mind upon kind of yeah. thing. Because, but and it's also it's kind of inadvertent, because that scene was much longer. That love scene was much longer, and it got cut down and cut down and cut down and cut down just because the film was running so long. Mm. So what they cut it down to originally, it was much more of a romantic uh, love scene with a bit of rough and tumble, shall we say, a bit of you know. Mm hard edge kind of manly man stuff yeah uh and then they cut it down cut it down and it then it becomes quite an uncomfortable scene to watch you go well what exactly is going to happen now yeah but it's but but it is it's that kind of thing like but also you've got kind of the way rachel behaves that she's just found out she's not a real person and her kind of motive because she starts off as a very confident character when she walks in Mm. Super in control. Then she finds out she's not real and falls to pieces as you would do. <laughs> well, yeah. And she doesn't know. That'll do it. What? Yeah, that, yeah just going. Yeah, that, those memories you had, those childhood memories. Not yours. Not they're, they're not real. Those were programmed. Which was to, to me again. You know, I don't want to jump ahead, but that kind of a whole idea just blew my mind. Mm. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, because yeah, how do you? How you can't even reassure yourself. <laughs> that's not true because you wouldn't know and you wouldn't be able to tell but anyway so yeah that's but it is a really interesting um scene and a really interesting moment that i think didn't really raise any eyebrows as it is now mm. back in in the 80s well, so we used to that kind of noir blokey manly man yeah i did wonder about was it I, I, when i sort of i was talking to rich as we were watching it and i said to him i said oh, i don't know whether this is me being bad at movies i said but i can't tell whether this is like a purposeful commentary on like um our replicants you know real real people do we need to bother with them does a replicant's consent even actually matter in the grand scheme of things etc etc or or whether it was just like because thinking about i know it's not like noir but thinking about things like even like the early bond movies yeah, like yeah, a lot yeah. of a lot of like hollywoody films were very sort of dubious in their treatment of women yeah. and consent so i didn't oh, know yeah, whether that, that kind was of purely the, the just guys uh, taking control was mm-hmm. 
a, a very much a thing that you wouldn't even notice. It's only yeah. now looking back, you mm. go, oh, that's a bit dodgy. The yeah. you know. But that was is, that was yeah. just how it was kind of, how, you know, those scenes were done. The bloke takes control and eventually, wins the, the girl the over, essentially. Yeah. It's like he forces her, but eventually she realises, oh, I do love him. I'll go mm-hmm. with the flow on this one. But I did watch that scene thinking exactly the same thing. Is this actually consensual? Is this really great? Or is this just because you consider a replicant to be disposable so you yeah. can do what you want with it? Because yeah. they made uh, replicants that were basically, I think they called it like pleasure bots. Yeah, there's pleasure models. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's workers and I guess there's the equivalent to sex toys or prostitutes yeah. and you've got the soldier types and and that kind of thing yeah so it does make you think about that and like like you say states whether that was part of the film's own commentary or is that 21st century eyes watching it sort of after mm. like me too type movements and things yeah i i think it's more the 21st century eyes looking back or i think it adds to it i don't think yeah. it yeah. kind of yeah. damages the film it makes it more interesting it makes that moment yes well yeah more debatable I, I saw it more as like a reflection on his character and mm. and it sort of helped me understand why because like what i couldn't fathom was why was this job worth coming out of retirement for him yeah. and and when it got to that part i thought oh it's because he genuinely couldn't give half of a shit about replicants could they yeah. <laughs> it's interesting again sorry (laughs) but it's (laughs) it's um because we're watching this cut right Mm. and i don't know if i mean obviously um jenny hasn't seen the theatrical cut yeah uh but the the and this is something we can talk about i guess about the different versions now when the film was released it was a massive flop it died on its ass um and it, it and it tested badly as well so when it tested badly before release, they went and they added a, a voiceover narration because people were saying, I don't understand what the hell's going on. So <laughs> that they added the crawl and they added the voiceover narration. And there's, a, there's about something, there's something like about 10 minutes or something like that, a voiceover with Deckard spelling shit out in a, in a really kind of bland way. And it's kind of like infamous, this voiceover. But I also think it was kind of, uh, you know, I won't slug it off because I saw the original version with the voiceover. And you kind of needed that at that time to basically keep people up to speed of what's going on. Mm. Um, and they kind of mentioned that about one of the things they discuss is the scene with uh, Deckard and Bryant, where Bryant is trying to get Deckard out of retirement. And he kind of spells it out in the narration that he's basically being pressured into coming back right this 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 threats essentially in um in bryant's dialogue about actually i can't remember if the dialogue is still in this version but he says something about little people if you're not on the job you're little people Uh, and that's basically him saying if you don't do this then you mean nothing and you're in the shit um but there's also then there's the the, with the, the with the final cut there's also this debate about whether Deckard is a is a replicant or not. Yeah. yeah I was so talk about would that. he he yeah. would he even have the choice to not come out of retirement? Was he ever even in retirement? Is this his first gig? Mm. And that kind of debate. Because that uh, whole debate around whether or not Deckard is a replicant 
Mm. I think I was only considering that because I'd heard Ridley Scott say that he'd spoken to Harrison Ford about it. Mm. And Harrison Ford is a strong belief that he is his character is not a replicant. Yeah. He's human. Whereas Ridley Scott, I think he was saying he was more of the belief that Deckard was a replicant. Yeah. According to Hampton, Franchery wrote the script. Deckard isn't. Right. According to Harrison Ford, Deckard isn't. According to Ridley Scott, Deckard is. Which I find, which so, I find interesting because there were there were little moments, and when I think about that, and I think about the character, and I look back on the film, I can easily see how you might perceive Decker to be a replicant. It's it's definitely ambiguous, and particularly yeah. in the final cut, in the director's cut, in the final cut, it's it's almost explicit, like the the the, the infamous um, unicorn scene. Yeah, that's that's. That's really Scott spelling it out, basically, and going, he absolutely is. This He's dreaming about a unicorn, and then Gaff leaves the little origami unicorn at the end. That's me telling you, Gaff knows what he's dreaming. Yeah. Therefore, he's a replicant, and Gaff has read his file. Kind of but there's, there's also that thing where um, the replicant's eyes... Um, show yeah. like a slight reflection, a slightly different. That's right. Yeah. As yeah, like, like, yeah, like they've got cataracts or something. Yeah. But I was watching it, and there's a scene where Deckard is with Rachel, and I think she's just saved him from getting his ass handed to him. Yeah. And he's getting all washed up, and there's a moment where he is stood just behind her shoulder, and you can see her eyes glowing, like to show that she's replicant. Yeah. And I and it's probably just the lighting, and it's. Probably not. No, 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 it's where it's, it looks like. His yeah, it's intentional. Fled. That was that's an intentional, and that was something that was cut out the original right. version. Um, and 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 that's what Ridley's got because he didn't get the final cut on the on the original on the theatrical version. Yeah. Um. So, and, but that was intentional. That's him putting these. This that's a clue there. You can Just either think, because through. because it's not like a visual effect. It's not like they've had other special effects glow. Mm. This is just the natural. This happens. <laughs> like, yeah. It's red eye, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But they're using it to a purpose. So it, it is, is that just a coincidence or is this, has this got more significance? Now, if you ask Hampton Fanchon, if you ask Aaron Ford, it's, it's just, it's nothing. It means mm. nothing. It's just, it's a red herring. Uh, but but uh, to really Scott, that's, kind of, that's a clue. Yeah. I think so I it's, up to you, it's up to you. I think I would lean towards that he is a replicant because I think Ridley Scott also dropped in other clues to suggest he is. I mean, we've got, we've got like the unicorn and the unicorn mm. origami in his eyes. But as we say, like perhaps the way in which he treats people, not just like other replicants, but people and watching him in his apartment where he's sat at the piano and looking through all these photos over and over again. Yeah. And that just said to me as well, like, are you trying to create memories or something or wish right, you exactly. that that's, as a memory that's, a, that's another clue from Ridley Scott saying you know it's established that replicants will accumulate these photographs yeah uh, and then you look at these photographs that um, Deckard has got and they're kind of old photographs they don't yeah. look like family photos or whatever they don't no they're so like Victorian it, but like uh, personally I, I lean towards Deckard not being a replicant okay. for me 
it's, have it's, I got the deciding vote? <laughs> yes, you have. It's yeah. you, Stace. Oh, uh, then he's not. Sorry, Jenny. That's okay. <laughs> okay, that, that's okay. I'm glad. I, I, I knew it would come down to us eventually. Well, he did come back to the, the, the sequel, I suppose. But yeah, was that I think I think the sequel reference? puts that to bed. Uh, I haven't to be, seen it, so. Uh, and it's really uh, good. It's oh, good. it's fucking phenomenal. I yeah. prefer it. It's one of the rare cases of a sequel that I think is better. I'll have to watch it then. It, it is really good. Um, so uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm I'm taking over. Sorry, who who? No. Uh, well, if you like, so I personally lean towards him not being uh, a replicant, but only because I think it's easier for me to accept in my brain that he, that he would be such a such an asshat <laughs> to, to replicants. Because the thing is, like, and I was talking to Rich about this as well, is that I said like, if the replicants had come to Earth and immediately started like doing a murder on everybody, which I realised like one of them did, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like most of them were just just like, live like, longer. Yeah, there was like one bird as well who was just like, well, I think I'll just go into like doing sexy dances with a snake and uh, and just live my life out, you know, wherever I can. And I'm like, just just leave her alone, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. she's not doing anybody any harm. Come on now. She's got yeah, a short I, I lifespan, think, you know, it's just yeah, let her live I, out I, her it, days. It, you almost go like, well, why are they doing it? And I think it is just they see it as, you know, I, I, I don't think, because the thing is, um, Deckard isn't a policeman. No, he's he's essentially he's a bounty hunter. A blade runner is its own gig, basically. Yeah. And what he is really is a is a you know he's a he's, he goes and repossesses vehicles. Really, he go he's he's I mean in the um in the book he's he's much more of a nerdy type. Mm. He's he's not. I mean, not, they add the kind of film noir, square jawed stuff. Mm. But there was a, there was a time dur- during casting. Well, it was almost Dustin Hoffman who got the gig. Oh, yeah. Who's a very yeah. different physical type. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, and you go, oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is a younger Dustin Hoffman. It's not mm. the, the old guy now. But this is around the time of Marathon Man or yeah, All the President's Men. So, but he he's, he's much more of a cerebral, nerdy type. Yeah. And I think that's, a, you know, that's more of like a, a HR guy or an IT guy. Which which adds a different layer of um to to mm. to the story, whereas obviously they they lent into the the noir detective angle um, more, which is which is a fine way to go. Yeah, but it's, it's but it, it, it is quite interesting. You go well, what what is a replicant, and would we all be upset? You know, we wouldn't think twice if uh, a car went out of control or or something like that. You know, or a, you know, or a tractor or, or something like that. So it becomes <laughs> well, a debate of how far does it go or if there's a computer program that went yeah. It's I think for me, it's the, it's the sentience <laughs> that yeah. does it. Because it's like, to me, it's not like, um, oh, you know, this this version of an electric car I've made has got a bug and makes it drive off cliffs, so we're going to bin it. It's mm. it's it's more it's more to me like, oh, this dog isn't learning the training, so we're just going to put it down. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's more like that, and I don't like that. Artificial, so it's like they're they're slipping their programming, you know. (laughs) But they are, but they have sentience. Yeah, they they can make choices, and they have like an an amount of free will. So to me, it's much closer to like killing an actual living something than it is. But a computer (laughs) can make choices. It's like like a a chess computer 
appears yeah. to think because it makes decisions about what moves to make. Did you about that chess robot that broke someone's finger? Yeah. Yes. Why do we keep making robots? I don't, Just I don't, stop it. I mean, why, we, why, is, sky why net, are we giving mate? those little robot dogs guns? What are we doing? What are we do- Did we not see that episode of Black Mirror with the tiny the, the, murder robot? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of techies out there who are seeing a lot of science fiction film and not seeing them as warnings. Yes. Instead, and you hey, want to be cool if we could, you know, create the Terminator. I know. It's Fucking basically hell. like waiting for Skynet or waiting for Jurassic Park. It's like no one watches these films and realizes these are cautionary tales. <laughs> <laughs> They're modern fairy tales. Pay attention. Yeah. Don't build the nightmare robot. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I, 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 I do agree with Stace as well. Like, I get, I completely get what you're saying as well, Lee. Like, you know, they're a program that's basically defaulted yeah. and you have to shut that down. But at the same time, I think, but these are actually also sentient beings that have yeah. a short lifespan. Oh, and some of them just, and that's why I think like um, Rutger Hauer's uh, character, who's, I've just read his name, but it's escaped me. Roy Batty. Roy Batty. Batty, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, he's on many levels quite sadistic. I mean, the yeah. murder he did on the doctor was like Michael Myers worthy, like yeah. crushing mm-hmm. his head and popping his eyeballs out. Yeah. But his death scene at the end with Decker is really sad. Yeah. I, I really felt, oh, that's. Yeah. But this, I think, but I think this is this is the transition point within that universe. Mm. Is I think the whole point of uh, Roy Batty is that. He's. This is where he reached that point where he knows what life means. Mm, that's what. Yeah. The, that's why he again skip into the end. That's why he saves Deckard's life. Yeah. Is and again it's horribly spelt out in the in the uh, in the narration in the voiceover in the reader. You'd have to. It's on. It's on YouTube. Check yeah. it out. It really is just. <laughs> it's very kind of. Yeah, I'm just going to spell this out for you. You know, like, you get that scene, that really emotional death scene, and then the voiceover comes going. Wow, Roy Batty just saved my life. I guess he's really into life now, huh? I mean, how to kill a mood. But if we, yeah, were, just, if we were to like like rewind from the end and go back to the beginning and just the visual of the film and the oh. idea that this was... Okay, so this was released in 1982. So it's probably made over what, let's say, 79 to 81, you know, through through creation process. Yeah, the, the, the script was, was picked up in 80. Yeah. So a filming was in 81, 81. I think. Yeah. So, and it was released and, in 82. So they're already thinking, like, this is what we think 2019 could look like. <laughs> <laughs> I did say to Rich when it started that I was like, I wonder if um, if there's any, like, old movies set in the 80s that have, like, a vague sort of almost prediction of what actually happened in, like, 2019, 2020. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's because it's always, like, flying cars and stuff, and it's never, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, deadly pandemics. Yeah. I, think, uh. I, think, I think the hardware, I mean, I mean, there is, there was a pandemic, which is why there's no animals. It's all in the, in the mm. subtext that, the, yeah. you know, animals are extinct now. Yes, they are. Yeah. That's why they're replicants as well. Due, yeah, due to, yeah, there's, there's the line about, is this owl real? Is this owl goes, real of course then... it's not real. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, now I've read the book, so it's, it's weird for me because I know some of the backs that they lift in transfer. Now, sometimes you go, mm. you forget what is or isn't yeah. spelled out. Mm. Um, but the whole animal thing is essentially why the story is called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Oh, yeah, is yeah. because the the whole motion for yeah. for Deckard in the in the book is he's trying to make money to buy a sheep. 
he wants ah, a real okay. sheep and it becomes okay. like a, a you know to have an animal any animal or i think he, he or is it an ostrich or something like that and um, that becomes like a big status symbol to own an animal and that's okay. that's his big motivating force rather than the big paycheck or whatever is he wants to be able to own an animal so that's a bit and i say i know what you're saying about oh well you know 2020 or 2019 doesn't look like blade runner but there's a lot of stuff it got right i mean well this is what i was going to say los angeles maybe didn't look like that but tokyo does yes but i mean it's not not dystopian but some of the things that like if you look at it on a political view and Mm. class system and all that you can say like you're Mm. not far wrong yeah some of the way people are treated you're really not far wrong yeah. I mean, if you look at like the climate change, because yeah. it, again, it's, you have yes. to kind of pay attention. This is Los Angeles yeah. and it's pissing down all and the it's time. so black all the time. When the when the opening crawl started and it mentioned the fact that they'd sort of created the replicants for like colonising other planets and stuff i was like oh we're a disaster in this version of the world okay yeah we fucked this one again haven't we yeah good one and that's the other thing as well is um the planet's basically deserted at this Mm. point the the only people who are left who are kind of like the dregs yeah so again it's not you you can't really see it, it it's not really explicit in the film but when you see jf sebastian and he takes uh pris back to his hotel he's got the whole hotel he's the only occupant in that hotel Mm. because you know although you get the impression of overpopulation because the streets are packed they're actually you know it's it's underpopulated the planet's kind of underpopulated at this point everybody who could get off the planet has fucked off Mm. And, and which is why everything's so dilapidated because you can't look after a whole building yourself, a whole hotel yourself. Mm. You just you just shrink down to this one tiny little room uh, and look after that kind of thing, mm. you know. What so, I found really interesting about the look of it was because I have a bit of a problem with movies that are set in um, like sort of visions of the future kind of things mm. because a lot of the time, to me, they don't look livable and yeah. i know that even even though like half of the places were just like run down you know drizzly shitholes everything still felt like functional and lived in yeah. which i found really interesting because like i mean i watched a film recently called crimes of the future which is like um david cronenberg's new one yeah. and it is so clinical in how it looks i couldn't get behind the film at all because everywhere yeah. just looked like a set like yeah. it all just looked like a movie set and I was like it doesn't feel even close to real and I know that's a stupid thing to say about a Cronenberg movie because usually there's like <laughs> you know holes yeah. in everywhere and things growing out where they shouldn't be and whatever but like I couldn't get into like the body horror of it because I was too busy thinking like this doesn't seem like a thing that, that would ever occur anywhere whereas this to me felt like even though it was like dirty and grimy it still felt like a place where people lived and worked and did things well that's it i I think the the functionality of it is just phenomenal like the design that went into it is mind-blowing absolutely i think it was um wasn't a sid mead wasn't he was the main futurist Mm. on it and if you think about really the the level of detail into everything i mean mm. in in the documentary they talk about you know they des- they built the chairs from scratch i think the only thing they didn't design from the floor was like the chopsticks 
<laughs> everything else was, you know, was hyper designed down to the coffee mugs and all sorts like that. Mm. Um, and, and and everything. I mean, it's, it's interesting that it's kind of like obviously this was a step on from Alien, which was Ridley Scott taking inspired by Star Wars and that kind of lived in universe, that kind of used up kind of universe about it. And he because before that, everything was shiny and silver in science fiction. It was all either plain white or silver. It was, you know, Logan's run or yeah. it was 2001 A Space Odyssey. Everything was clean and shiny and sterile. And then Star Wars came along and everything was grimy and used up and chucked away and burnt out. And then Ridley Scott took that with um, Alien and turned, you know, the spaceship into a truck essentially into a, mm. a tug you know yeah uh, and then he, he and, and then he created that world with blade runner and just showed you what the whole world looked like and it is just that everything's kind of retrofit everything's built onto everything else and it was all done for like practical reasons and they didn't have it, it looks like they've got a massive budget but they didn't have that bigger budget and it's kind of mind-boggling really when you look at it and go this is all practical none of this is cgi no, and because it's, CGI didn't exist. But exactly, and it's funny because it's everything still looked great to me, like the, yeah. the video boards on the side side of the, the you know, like the sky skyline buildings and stuff. Loved seeing TDK up there. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing about the the curse of Blade Runner that all the companies that uh, that they used in the advertising for the future all died, all went under. <laughs> I think oh, Coca Cola and Cuisinart, but they had troubles. They struggled and, and kind of recovered from them, but they nearly went under. But you got Atari and TDK. Yeah. But they all, uh, you know, it, it all looked great. And even though, you know, you look at because of when it was made, you know, so early eighties, coming out of yeah. the late seventies. So yes, the computer graphics on screen looked very of the time in which it was played. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but it still looked great. And as yeah. you say, completely practical, and the whole um, zooming in on the picture, and then giving yeah. a grid, you know, like giving the, the 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 grid numbers, and going to there, moving yeah. along, and the sliding the picture in, and then printing one off, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it still looked great, but the whole production design was gorgeous, and mm-hmm. this the lighting and the photography was wonderful. I mean, I know it was. You said to me actually. At the weekend before I watched it, I uh, was like, "Watch it in the dark because you want to yeah, see it. Yeah. You just yeah. won't see a damn thing if you don't." And yeah, turn the lights off and draw the curtains, or yeah. you won't see a fucking thing. Yeah, and thankfully we're in autumn now, so the nights are drawing in. So I started at about half seven, and it was dark enough to switch the lights off and watch it. And I'm glad I did because that was the best yeah. way to watch it. But just the whole neon of it mixed with the grime and the dirt and the, the dark and the blackness of it mixed with a bit of gold here and there. Yeah. And even the candle lights, because that was another thing. It's like there's obviously not much electricity going on all the time, or maybe they suffer a lot of blackouts because it's a ship, you know, mm. dystopian world, and you've got all these <laughs> candelabras everywhere. But it was just, it was just sumptuous to look at as well. There's, there's, there's a line in it that made me laugh, where um, just before um, Decker do, does the kind of the the Voigtkampf test, the empathy, empathy test on Rachel. Uh-huh. He goes, it's too bright in here. Yeah. And you go, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I love they just shut the blinds down behind, yeah. you know, this fantastic visual behind them. 
I must yeah. say, I thought when Rachel first came on screen, I thought, hello, Pop. Yeah. Oh, my God, her hair, do oh. Give it to me every day, please. Like, 40s Vixen, just mm. gorgeous. You know, yeah. I did think straight away that she was a replicant before it was <laughs> shown. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting because one of the reasons I don't want Deckard to be a replicant is because he's so unemotional. Mm. Or, his, or his emotions are so malfunctional. I think that kind of robs the, if he's a replicant, that kind of robs the film of a lot of his nuance. Because mm. the part of the debate is, are the are the androids more human than the humans now? Yeah. You know, because the humans we've seen are like robots. They're very cold. Holden is very cold in in the in the opening scene. And, you know, Bryant is very inhumane. He kind of smiles a lot, but it's a cold smile mm, and stuff yeah. like that. And, and Decker doesn't seem to have any warmth about him. And I know Harrison Ford was criticised at the time for being, I mean, the whole film was criticised just phenomenally for being boring and mm. too what? complicated a, and too dark. I mean, you have to remember, I mean, 1982 was a hell of a fucking year for film, right? And it all got blown out of the water by E.T., Oh, well, yeah. So, what, well, can fucking do one, though, can't yeah, I know, right? So, so <laughs> 1982 was the year of, you know, The Thing as well, which died on its arse, because nobody, everybody was into cuddly aliens. I was going to say, what was wrong with people in 1982? Fuck's so, sake. But if you, if you look at what films came out in 1982, what a year, you yeah. know? I mean, you've got The Thing, Star Trek II, Tron, The Dark Crystal, Conan the Barbarian, First Blood, Poltergeist, Creep Show, Cat People, 48 yeah. Hours, Diner, Fast Times at Richmond High, Tootsie, Airplane 2, Firefox, Sophie's Choice, Officer and a Gentleman, Gandhi, Rocky 3, and Blade Runner, and a whole bunch more. So many of those I haven't seen. Yeah, oh, so many mate, of those. On <laughs> you know, and, and kind of, you know, Halloween 3 came out. Well, you know, that's oh, a whole thing. Well, it, it was just episode. an incredible year. And then, and but E.T. came out and just sucked the energy out. Nobody was going to see anything except from E.T. See, now, the thing is, right, your list there some absolutely amazing films. They were some superb films there. And it's interesting because many of those films are think pieces. You know, you, ha- mm. you, you think about things whilst you're watching it. You know, Sophie's Choice. Hello. Yeah. And, and some of the others. And it's it's interesting that I mean, I I like E.T. I know that Stace has a fear of it and that's OK. <laughs> <Safe space. laughs> I, I, I just don't like I, I remember it coming out and it just been everybody wanted to go see it yeah. and me just kicking against it. going, I don't want to see a cute alien. And I got given the choice. I was, go, so I was going cute. to the cinema with my mates and we were given the oh. choice. Do we go and see E.T. or do we go and see Airplane 2? And I picked Airplane 2. And I think I made the right choice. Um, Actually, speaking of, like, the different actors or actors that played, could have played Deckard, I was interesting when I did a little bit of little researching that stars included Gene Hackman, Sean Connery, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood, just a few, even Arnold Schwarzenegger, were considered... Oof. Yeah, but you have to, yeah, because they they do these lists of they were considered. Literally, they were just making a list of the big names yeah, at big, the time. So yeah, names. they were considered because they were just big box office at the time. They were big names. So yeah, a lot of them didn't quite 
get you know Rob I think Robert Mitchum was a serious contender at that's, one point yeah I read that's who the writer was writing it for and yeah. I can understand that because of Mitchum's um but and like I say he's a very noir actor yes that's you know. what I was going to say his history in film noir that makes sense why yeah. he does it but having only watched it once I cannot imagine another actor but Harrison Ford playing no. the role no mm. and I, did, I did question has Harrison Ford ever looked young in a film <laughs> oh yeah if you if you want i mean watch american graffiti uh he, he, he looks so baby-faced in that <laughs> yeah but uh or even if you go back and watch the original star wars it's like oh yeah. my god he's a child he's quite he's <laughs> more handsome in that i have to say but um but what's interesting you have to remember when this was made he wasn't the, the huge name he is he'd done star wars was he, he just he was, rapping he was just rapping on Raids of the Lost Ark. He he yeah. just done Raids of the Lost. Yeah, I don't think it had been released when he'd been cast. It was like Spielberg was making it, and they went, "Oh, Spielberg's using this guy. He's probably going to be quite good." And he was all right in Star Wars, mm. but he wasn't. He wasn't a known. You know, he wasn't a big name. I think he would he have done Empire. I think he would have. Yeah, Empire came out in eighty, wasn't it? So he would have done Star Wars and Empire. Yeah, but he he wasn't the huge name that he was and i remember going back to my introduction <laughs> about <laughs> my where my history of it i remember seeing an issue of starlog in about 1982 something like that or 81 that had a and it was about you know return of the jedi coming out soon and there was a big full page photo of harrison ford as decked about his next film that he's doing and i remember thinking what the hell's going on with his hair? Because he got this really short haircut, which looks very modern and contemporary now. At the time, it looked really square. Yeah, and it, really off. Yeah, really nerdy. And you think, oh my God. And like, and Harrison Ford saying, oh, I deliberately got a bad haircut to show that Deckard isn't, you know, a pretty boy. He's not, he's not, you know, that's not his thing. He's not about his image. And and they do kind of try and reel it back that he's you know that he's he's a tech he's, guy you know yeah he's not a detective and and that sort of stuff but yeah so I remember that coming out and going oh wow what what's this thing this mm. blade and I remember 2008 doing doing like a news item about it because they used to have like a film page mm-hmm. saying about oh well you know Harrison Ford starting this sorry in this new sci-fi film that's going to be basically like Robo Hunter their comic strip that was running and the and I didn't see it <clears throat> until it came out on video yeah and it was before we had a video recorder my my best friend at the time they'd they'd got a video recorder just before and Blade Runner was one of the films that we were all desperate to see um, because we were too young, we would have been twelve, so or thirteen. We we were too young to see it. So, like there's Blade Runner, Firefox, First Blood, um, and a couple of others that we were just desperate to see, and we were completely unaware that Blade Runner was derided. It was a, it was a flop. It was just like you know we got to see this. We've seen Alien. So I remember seeing it. My my my, my mate had rented it and just being just completely blown away by it. Um, and my mate moaning that it was too dark and he couldn't see what was going on. <laughs> Not but it was, but it, yeah, but it was that kind of thing. And it was just like a perennial view for me. It was like, 
if you'd have asked me in 1982 what my top 10 films was, Blade Runner would have been right up the top. Star Wars and then Blade Runner probably, you know? Yeah. It, it was my brain put on screen. That's what I absolutely wanted to see. Um, and I it was one of those films, like I said, with American Werewolf. It was one of those films I watched over and over and over and over. So much I, I used up my goes and I burnt out on it. <laughs> and I did watch it for you. And I don't think I'd watched it for 15, 20 years until we watched it. So I was watching it like almost like it was fresh, like it was new. Yeah. And it kind of blew me away all over again because I was fully prepared for it to go, oh, this isn't going to stand up. Oh, I've seen it a million times. I'm going to be bored. But I was just, it was just like watching it again, you know, watching it for the first time i think this is the thing of why i enjoyed it so because considering it was 1982 release uh, and although i watched many many films from the 80s and i still think a lot of those stand up i mean some of it of course is nostalgia and you know Mm. that kind of thing but i still think many do stand um this was obviously brand new fresh to me and it still felt brand new and fresh and i think it helps that it's all right, yes, it's set in a future, a a, yeah. a, a future version of the world. Um, but I think that's where sometimes sci-fi helps itself to hopefully stand the test of time. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly the fact that it's set in a, a year that's now gone past doesn't yeah. faze me in the slightest. No. You know, it's no. not like, yeah, I know those people who watch it and go, snigger, that never happened. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, well, clearly this is a different different 2019 you know it's like it's like an alternate alternate universe is a part of sci-fi so basically so but it just never even apart from seeing it in the opening crawl that it's like 2019 it's like oh right i didn't realize that's when it was gonna so i know the new blade runner is 2049 yeah Mm -hmm. yeah hadn't even occurred to me when this one would be set Mm. um so it's like oh well that's interesting and then yeah i think for the first few moments of the film i think it it was in my mind that, well, haven't quite got the the future correct, have they? And then after that, it's like, didn't even occur to me, wasn't even, you know, an, another thought in my mind. Yeah. Um, about Because I was just too engrossed in what was going on. Yeah. I'm really glad. I'm really glad you enjoyed it and you both enjoyed it because it, I, I, I was fully prepared to go yeah i get it you know i can yeah you're not saying anything that you know the critics didn't say at the time or whatever you know just eat crow and just go yeah it's a film that makes i have to admit it makes a very bad first impression generally Mm. you know people will watch it and and then i remember if you go and look on youtube and see the trailer for it they made it look like an action movie all you see is um all the action scenes from it you know lots of running down streets and a few gunshots and a bit of punching and stuff like that yeah. and it's all to the the final theme the final vangelis theme over the end titles which is very up tempo with thrillerish mm. yeah da, 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 uh whereas the rest of the film isn't like that at all you yeah. know it's it's all very very slow jazz kind of retro future style but very laid back and I do wonder, I know we had the sequel not so long ago, Mm. but I do wonder if this film was released um, today, you know, if it would um, replicate the same kind of reviews again. I think it probably would. I think it would, because I think um, 
I I feel having listened to reviews or list or just read, you know, people's reactions on social media, um, people. Uh, it's wrong to say all people, but many people do not seem to enjoy things that are slow paced, yeah. or take time mm. to guess, or take thought, or <laughs> make See, think. I think it depends on the marketing. Yeah. I think if it was marketed in the way. As, a, as an action movie, then yes, I would have absolutely have watched it and been like, well, that was dull. What the fuck was that about? Yeah. But I think because, like, I'd never seen any trailers or anything before I watched it the first mm-hmm. time. And like I say, I, even though I really enjoyed it, I'd, I'd never gone back to it for reasons I can't quite fathom. And I probably should have watched it again before I watched 2049 <laughs> because that would have possibly helped me understand 2049 a bit more. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it probably would garner similar reviews just because I don't know whether modern day audiences are a bit less attentiony, and I include myself in that as well. Like, and I'm not digging on anybody, but I've got to admit that I sometimes find it hard, especially when I'm streaming things rather than being at the cinema, yeah. to not just like, like you were saying, like it's not even necessarily that I'm like bored and scrolling Twitter or something, but it's like. I'll see somebody in the film and be like, oh, who's that? And then I'll fall exactly. down an IMDb hole yeah. for like 20 full yeah. minutes and then be like, oh, shit. I, I think, yeah, <laughs> I think we're all, you know, people that can um, fall foul sounds too strong a term, but can sort of like fall foul to that. Um, and I think that's the nature of how perhaps social media and being able to scroll on your phone and have any gadgets has, has kind of have been like a knock on effect to how we now mm. watch films now i know there are some directors and um creators that dislike the whole thing of don't watch these films on your phones don't watch them at home well it's safer sometimes to be at home to watch these things and it's more comfortable for me to be at home to stream rather than go to the cinema sometimes um and they're all like go and experience it in the cinema it's not always viable for some people to do that and they have to wait Mm -hmm. until you can stream it and obviously we've had two years of pandemic lockdowns i'd say two years of pandemic but we are technically still in one folks just yep. um but we've had two years of lockdowns where it's not been possible so i think in many ways it's for me personally it has changed the way in which i watch films sometimes and new films if i'm in the cinema then obviously i'm not going to be the dick who's going to take their phone out yeah and have that on but if i'm at home then it might be a bit of imdb it might yeah. be a little bit of lapsed um concentration yeah Yeah. i tell you what i have to do sometimes because i will admit that since covid my mental health has been weird and one of the uh one of the side effects of that has been sometimes i wouldn't call it a full zone out because i don't it doesn't last for very long but there are some times when i'll be fully looking at a movie and registering that it's happening but it's like my brain isn't comprehending what it's seeing or hearing and so sometimes I'll then have to Wikipedia what actually happened in the film to catch myself up to where I'm at. <laughs> I I, yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes that can just be the film, to be yeah. honest. I mean, it I can mean, be. But I do, I do, I've definitely noticed it's gotten worse for me since I've been uh, like at home a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether it's just a, a case of like a little bit of like sort of brain cabin fever, as it were. But yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I like I do think I did. I, do you know what? Actually, I do think that we. <laughs> I'm going. I'm just totally being a hypocrite to myself now, and just going completely back on what I was just saying. But I actually think that 
personally anyway um films like this will find their audience eventually so i think even if it came out now and critically it got panned um i still think people who want this sort of stuff will find it eventually yeah. Yeah. um but and i want to say mind, the sequel underperformed as well when 2049 came out mm. that underperformed mm. and you know there was a lot of and i was part of it going well duh <laughs> why, why <laughs> like, you, the first one kind of flopped and yeah. then found an audience gradually because it was too far ahead why would you expect anything other you know anything different from the you can't be shocked at least. <laughs> it's like many of our favorite films though many have underperformed we yeah. find out later oh well, that yeah i mean it. performance is absolutely no yeah and gauge so, of quality at all this is why and this is me going off on a very short i'll get off my soapbox in a minute okay. but this is why i hate the way that like streaming algorithms work because yeah. <laughs> like I absolutely hate the fact that it's like, right, you've got to watch this thing on Netflix 73 times in the next hour. Otherwise, they're never going to do it again or they're going to take it away from us or they're not going to make a series two because all they care about is the fact that it gets a shit ton of views immediately. And I'm like, but that's not how media can be consumed like even when it's available directly into your house. Like that's not how people can work Um, and it doesn't help like things find their audience yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, mean, I mean to be fair the whole the whole kind of yeah i mean it's true you know that kind of like the thing took ages to find its audience blade room took ages to find its audience and it was video home video that kind of was the savior of savior of both mm-hmm. you know it was kind of like the next generation came along of of grotty little kids like me who went no this is this is what we want but it, I mean, John Cometer and both Ridley Scott have said, who gives a fuck if it takes that, you know, if it finds, yeah. that's, it's no good. It does me no good that it finds its audience 10 years later. <laughs> we need it to find its audience, you know, in, in the cinema, because that's when it makes its money back and I get to make another film yeah. or whatever, you know. It, yeah, it's, it's nice that it finds its audience eventually, but that's very much the second best option over yeah. it never yeah. finding an audience ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, and you know, and, and like I say, when Ridley Scott added like the voiceover and the tacked on ending, which we haven't mentioned yet, which you won't be aware of, there was a horrible tacked on <coughs> happy ending. Oh dear. Where the film as it stands ends with uh, after Deckard's confrontation with Roy Batty, he's battered and bashed up and he goes back to his apartment. And he grabs Rachel and they get the fuck out of Dodge. And literally the door closes and it cues um, and titles. Yeah. <coughs> In the original version, or the theatrical version, they, 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 they tested it and they were going, oh, it's too dark. It's too dark. It's too depressing. And they thought, well, we need to add a, add a, you know, give the audience something to go home with. You know, a bit of, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, literally. And they decided to, they went out and shot um, Deckard and Rachel in his car driving through some countryside. So they're on the run and it's in a lovely blue skies, daylight, the only daylight scene in the film. <coughs> and they're, they're driving through woods and forest. It's all very nice. You've got the voiceover of Harrison Ford going, you know, I, I, I saw her file. She hasn't got like a limited lifespan. We've got as long as anybody it's all nice everything's fine 
and then you know and then it cuts and the interesting thing about a little trivia for that is they 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 went out and shot some like b-roll footage of some countryside and forest and it was horrible it was horrible and gray and misty and rubbish so they got on the phone to stanley kubrick and they go don't suppose you've got any leftover outtakes from the shining of all that area <laughs> And he went, yeah, I've, I've got like six weeks worth of shooting because Stanley Kubrick was a maniac for yeah. footage. <laughs> yeah. He says, just don't use anything that's in the film. I mean, yeah, no problem. And they got like crates full of this B-roll footage. So they used this aerial this aerial footage of, you know, from The Shining. Oh, God. And uh, yeah, that was it. And, it was just, and it's just horrible. It's just, it it's just... Yeah, I remember watching it with a friend at school. Yeah. And, and she just went... Why are they living in that shitty city if there's woods and forests? And yeah, that is, out there, that, that is exactly what I was just thinking. I was also, like, why would you do that to yourself? Why would they do that? In perpetual... Why would you live in a country where you've got fresh air and yeah, land and, water and, and green? You know, and... The implication is the whole planet looks like that, or it's a desolate wasteland and these cities. Are just... So anyway, yeah. so, so that's what they did. Honestly, um, even your description of it, it just sounds... Stupid. It, it, it's yeah. beyond. It's I, I, you know. I think if you go on YouTube, I'm sure there's like a, a you know, there's there's a video of all the voiceover stuff and the tactile and and stuff like that. It will blow your mind. <coughs> that it's, it's and you just think it just looks like it's from another film. Oh dear. And what's interesting well. because like Blade Runner had a massive influence, although it it tanked at the critically and audience wise, it had a huge impact. Well. I thought culturally this, when I saw I mean in, in like pop culture when I saw Daryl Hannah's character Pris yeah uh, when she put like had her hair all like the wig in white and the, the black across mm. the eyes I just straight away thought of um Farscape yeah and yeah. um oh the character in that um Chiani or something like yeah, that yeah Gianna yeah, Gianna in yeah. Farscape, and even bits of Farscape, to be fair, here and there, or yeah. any other I mean, like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the impact that Blade Runner had was basically everything for about the next 20 years. Yeah. That was what sci-fi looked like. Or if it didn't, it was reacting against it, yeah. you know? So, I mean, you had, I mean, just, I mean, like, Akira was massively influenced by it, and... Um, yeah, this whole cyberpunk movement basically started well, with with Blade Runner, you know, Terminator was, with the tech noir uh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, mean, it, it was interesting to read that the painting, um, the Nighthawks, uh, mm. Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, which is yeah. one of my favourite paintings, was like an influential like mood board. Yeah. To this yeah. film, you know, the, those lone people sitting around the diner somewhere in America. Um, the guy behind the bar and everything. I just, I love that painting anyway. Yeah. But it makes sense that that would influence a mood or yeah. style to this film. I well. mean, and next time you see like Tim Burton's Batman, yes. you'll, you'll see how much, you know, Blade Runner that was. Course, it was yeah. like Batman, yeah. Batman and Blade Runner, basically. I mean, that's my favourite Batman, so. Yeah, let's not get in. So if we just steer this back to Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we Can just, I? Yeah. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I was going to. Let's talk a little bit about the score and then get some final thoughts. Okay. okay. I'll save I'll save what I was gonna say then. I love the score to this. Like I think it's that perfect balance of like occasionally when you need it to be, 
it's yes. the star of the show. Yeah. But then for the rest of the time, it's just enough for it to not feel like there's nothing happening in the background, exactly if that makes sense. Say. Yeah, no, exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It's like it didn't yeah. interfere. It was it was so good when it, you know, just in those moments, like you say, when it needed it to be there to be up. Mm. And then it was just there to an accompany. Yeah. And I, just, I, mean, I, I had realised it was Vangelis. Yeah, one. I had the album um, on vinyl because that's all you could buy back then i'm not being a you know a pose or anything i am i've started buying vinyls now oh, that's so much vinyl. because if i can't go if i can't go to gigs then i'm yeah. going to support bands with vinyls now because I, I don't i don't want a cd they're shit ain't they i have original vinyl from back in the day and i've got new vinyl so okay so but yeah so i i mean it was i mean the the, the although the film flopped the soundtrack was huge everybody imagine. loved the soundtrack it's, I mean, the only those... the only thing I pick at it really is that the best track. Like I love the end title track, mm. It, mm. and I it, I thought it could have done with that being in there. Yeah. Some point. yeah. Like yeah. The, there's there's an action sequence where he's chasing down Zora. Yes. Now, if you'd put that action track over the top of that, that would have elevated that scene even more. Because yeah. it because the whole thing is kind of again I think it all just feeds into the to the themes of the, of the film. The, the, the whole film is kind of emotionless. Mm. And the soundtrack, you know, it doesn't play with your emotions the way, say, a John Williams score will mm. or, or a James Horner score will. It's all just there in the background. In the, at no point, I think Ridley Scott has said himself, if he could do, do it again, he'd do everything the same, except he'd put an action sequence, a big action sequence in there just to get the audience's blood up. Yeah. It's about halfway just to wake everybody up and just go shit's going down kind of thing, whether it be like a, you know, a car chase in the sky or whatever, mm. which would have been completely impractical point, to do. Point. But something like that, just yeah. something to get the, the audience's blood up a bit. And but for those yeah. that, you know, for those that aren't completely aware of uh, who Van Gelis is, this is the same person who did the music for Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Um, when it became synth. And if I'm right, that was quite new at the time yeah different, very new yeah. different yeah so, i mean the, the the i mean if you look at soundtracks in the from the early 80s they all just went they just nosedived into synth tracks mm-hmm. we're doing that again now were, aren't we yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of them were yeah. terrible you know <laughs> and just horrible and cheap sounding because not everybody i mean you had you know you know jerry goldsmith and, and big names guys who know their their stuff doing like synth tracks and just sounding horrible you know and it just sounded very shallow and tinny and and not but, big and broad but, but this the, doesn't and neither does no. fire just so <laughs> saying that yeah Vangelis yeah yeah was great <laughs> yeah Van, well vangelis was just a whole he's the exception yeah. to to the rule you know he was he was a whole other thing he was a force to himself yeah but um but yeah he was a big he was a big movie buff as well you know and he 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 they, um, Ridley Scott was saying when they were record doing the recording sessions, he was, and it's just him. I think there yeah. was him and an assistant, and that was it. Yeah. And he he would literally just play them on the synths while he was watching the film, just and just as as it was going along, and it's just phenomenal, you know. And he he knew the nuances, and he was spotting you know little things that were going on that he was highlighting and stuff like that. It was it was. It's absolutely one I'll be adding to my work by score playlist mm. on spotify because um, mm. it'll cheer you out it'll be careful it'll, oh no it'll, that's cool because it's the sort of thing i put on whilst i'm working at work or 
but working freelance to try and lower the blood pressure yeah basically it's like let's be clients or editors and then I just chill chill I can't do lyrics right now I need music let's bring it down you know and that's what I do so final thoughts so Lee why don't you give us your final thoughts first ah yeah I I just think it it is just I think it still remains the brilliant film I remember it being yeah um i think it, it's an astonishing piece of work i think it's it, it is one of those just, just like so far ahead of its time it's still ahead of its time almost i think i my worry was it was going to be hard for you to to watch it and realize that it's not a current movie and appreciate that it was from 30 years ago or, mm. or 40 years ago or what you know because it, it is being, it's one of those films that's been kind of ripped off so much it be- it's become the standard way of doing that sort of stuff. So you might not get how revolutionary it was. Yes. You know, and that it was it, that, that that whole kind of noir look to it, that neo-noir, tech-noir look to it, was just completely out of the blue and just um, just stunned everybody. I mean, if you look at, like, pop videos from the 80s, they were all doing their Blade Runner pastiches. <laughs> TV commercials and cinema commercials were you know all doing the everything was dark cities in the rain with with steam coming out of the grills and all this kind of stuff even the uh, tray adverts was doing that yeah it was in the late 80s all that kind yeah i mean i mean it, and you still you can still see the influence now like i was watching uh andor the star wars show and the, the first episode of andor has a scene with the main character going, you know, walking down a street on this mm. tech planet, and it's all nighttime rain and neon, which is straight out of Blade Runner, you know. So mm. the, the the influence is still there, yeah. You know, it's and it's it's just a, a just a phenomenal piece of work. I would I would like to go back and watch the the theatrical cut again just to mm. see how well that works yeah. or not, yeah. You know, because it it is. I think it, I, I, it would have been interesting to see. It's, and, you know, it's the, the parallel universe where you saw the, the theatrical cut first mm-hmm. and how you would have reacted <laughs> to that, you know, yeah. because yeah. that's 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 flawed genius. The, the theatrical is very flawed, uh, you know, in some very fundamental places. Yeah. Um, whereas I think the final cut just iron out. I know there's a lot of people who criticize the, the final cut because he, he messed with certain scenes and the color balance and certain colors and stuff like that my tell isn't good enough to to recognize any of that so. I, I couldn't even tell if it did because i don't know anything other than this and mm. i thought it all looked really good and looked yeah. great so um and and uh, i would say that we mentioned was it was it the last one we did about 80s movies always having the song with the with the film title yeah in yeah. the chorus the um kim wilde's um did a did a, a song called blade runner oh, on her album um i can't think what it's called now dares and lies or something like that from 1985 and it and it's it's really good it's a really good song and she was clearly a big fan of the movie all right and, and it's got like it's got um, apparently blade is the, the most sampled movie soundtrack of the 20th century for for music to have been anyway there's a bit from that and I always wondered whether they'd commissioned her to do the song to go over the end titles, you know. And uh, apparently not. It, it was just she just did it. But that's worth checking out. On uh, that's a, that's a that's a good wee song. That is. it captures the spirit of the uh, of the movie. 
But, I'm actually uh, also impressed that you knew a Kim Wilde album. Yeah. I, I own that album. I'm I'm a child of the 80s. Uh, you are more so than, than me in States. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I've st- I actually I think I've still got the cassette in the other room Bless your heart. <laughs> in, in my little briefcase cassette holder thing. Yeah, you know? I remember those things. So, but, uh, um, yeah, so that's, that's me. That's, that's my you. final. How about you, Stace? Well, um, as part of my sort of final thoughts, I do just want to throw out some very inconsequential things that I noted down that just Excellent. struck me. Uh, the first thing is that flying cars are terrifying. Like, I... <laughs> it's one of these things about like future movies that always tickles me because I don't trust people on very well thought out labeled clear roads so the idea of just random willy-nilly people just driving around in the sky is just a a terrifying nightmare to me um so please let's never do flying cars um because the thing is, right, planes are just enough. There's just enough of those in the air with the right people driving them for the most part that, like, we don't need to just have, you know, like Billy from down the road, just get in a car and then be in the air. We don't need it. So let's not do that. Let's, let's leave that as one of the sort of um, future things that we don't do. <laughs> Thank can be, you. Can it be a time travelling? Right, you know, like drive through. I mean, well, I, I just, I just feel like you're inviting disaster. The instant sure, you put sure, a car in the air. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm another point that I noted down was that I thought it was really funny that he bothered trying to do a fake voice with the snake lady when he first meets <laughs> yeah. her, because his face is just there in front of her, um, yeah. and he just puts on this slightly, like, sort of nasally, like, nerdy voice. And I was like, what is this for? And it really made me laugh. Um, And then later in that scene, she draws her hair in a hairdryer that encompasses her whole head. And I've got to say, as a woman that has a fringe, no, that would burn your face off. (laughs) Especially with how quickly it dried her hair. (laughs) That would frizz so much. It really would. Um, Actually, thinking about the woman, uh, Zora, when they did that chase scene, and I also noticed this with Pris. Sorry, I'm jumping on your thoughts. That's okay. Jump away. I noticed that I thought the stunt doubling in those two moments were terrible. (laughs) Oh, I mean, yes, the the Zora chase is is infamous. Yeah. For being, but I mean, I mean, God bless her. The the stunt woman was really was was a professional stunt woman. That was a hell of a stunt. stunt. But the wig was terrible. When it was being shot, they were going, "This is a terrible wig. You can't do this." And then also the the Pris fight with um, Decker, Deckard. You know, like going from what. Harold Danner's legs look like to what the slightly uh, more muscular stunt double's legs look like. The, the man, the stunt man. Oh, you know. there we go. Um. So, yeah, it was it was just a case because Ridley Scott does multiple takes and multiple takes. And when he rehearses, you don't just go, well, then I'll do this and flip flop and that. You got you. It'll make you do it. Uh, Daryl Hannah was doing her own. She's a gymnast. So she was doing her own stunts mm. and stuff. But she was doing them so much. She just crash yeah so they, that would they explain got... her death scene the way that she died that was weird anyway. well yeah that the the, the the guy flying or the the, the priest flying who gets shot and flies and flip-flops and hits the wall and then starts spasming around that's a guy that's the, the stunt uh... um but and he got paid a fortune because he got paid per per every time he did it god damn it i'm in the and, and, and then got to do it again and do it again do it again so he, he was coining it in. Do you know, if it wasn't for the fact that there's the possibility of maiming, death and other things, stunt work, money, just saying. Mm. 
Anyway, sorry, Stacey. But, but, yeah, so, so the, the, I mean, the, I mean, uh, Joanna Cassidy wasn't happy with the um, with with uh, Zora's death scene either, because she was she was she wanted to do it. She's prepared to do it because it was yeah, sugar okay. glass, and they're going. But we still can't risk you. I'm not going to put you in that. It's still going to have sharp edges. Yeah. Even sugar glass that big will will okay. cut into yeah. knife sized pieces. But it is it is like I was saying about the the original cut being a flawed masterpiece that's one of the big flaws and there's you know there, there was talk at one point about reshooting it and and um i don't think they ever did it, it like, and joanna cassidy actually reshooting it and doing doing some more stuff and doing it she's like well you know i'll do it now i don't care but um but i don't think that that happened but yeah uh, nobody was happy with that uh, okay the, the 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 press stuff i didn't really notice oh, but, the, but the zora stuff was, was yeah. glaring <laughs> okay, so we had the over the head, complete the face, hair dry scene. That was a bit yes. weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my other two notes were that the sequence where um, Deckard is climbing up the very wet gargoyle mm-hmm. building had me feeling so tense because yeah. it did not look safe and it was really stressing me out how slowly he was climbing because he was yeah. obviously having a hard time and that stressed me out. And then I also, just in the interest of balance, because we were ogling Rachel earlier, I just oh. wanna I just wanna pour one out for Rutger Hauer's calves yeah. just before he dies. Yeah. Holy shit. What yeah. perfect legs. They were fantastic. But what I found Oddly intriguing about that whole scene is that he's carrying a dove all the way through it. Yeah, and that's that was him. That was that was Rutger Hauer's choice. He's I'm I'm just going to hold this dove. If that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, that's is, so weird. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean Rutger Hauer came up with the the, the actual tears in the rain line. All, yeah. the, all these, you know, I've seen things you people can't believe. You know, attack ships on fire, all that. Although there was a version of that in the script. It it will it didn't work. So and he right. just winged that. And well, he, I'd actually winged it. He, he wrote something like the night before, mm. and just said that, and it was just phenomenal. Um, and he he said, I'm just going to hold this dove, and then when I die, I'm going to let go of the dove, and it'll fly up, and that's me. That's how you know I've died, and that's my spirit and stuff like that. That's what life is. Oh. Um, but that everything was so wet. It was it was proper. You know, they were just under this. I mean, it was and everything. It was treacherous. Yeah. And they were on top. They were on a proper. It was a set. It was a stage you know, built. But they were still like two or three stories up. Yeah. And one of the buildings was on wheels and they could move it backwards and forwards. And the stuntman couldn't make the jump. It was too wet. And he was in like a big trench coat and he was soaked and he couldn't quite make the uh, the jump. Yeah. And then it came to um, Roy Batty doing his jump. And, you know, the stuntmen weren't happy about it and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Rogawa said, look, if you can move this building like a foot closer, I reckon I can do it. <laughs> and they went, OK. Oh, my God. The <laughs> on you. We need to get it done. We need to be out. And this was like the last night of shooting. If he gets killed, it doesn't matter. I mean, there was a, <laughs> there was, there was a crash. If he dies, we'll use it. It's fine. <laughs> and, and, he, and, he did, and, he, and if you look at it, he just does a hop. It's basically a big hop. Yeah, and he, he makes it easily, but yeah. So it was everything was it was everything was soaked. It was a yeah. miserable shoot. Apparently, it wasn't just a miserable shoot. I mean, the whole stuff going on. That's uh, the, that's about the only bit I remember from the opening of the documentary that they were all saying it was a miserable shoot. It, it was, <laughs> it was a miserable shoot. I mean, to, I mean to be fair, 
you you get what you pay for and Ridley Scott was yeah. an artist so if he's sweating the details it's all on the screen that's what you're paying for you know you're going to get a movie that doesn't look like anything else um plus his brother had died about six months before yes they did so, they said about that yeah so yeah. uh so we, yeah it was a, it was a tense set and an yeah. aggressive set yeah but um but yeah i'll, I'll just say the, the final story about the about the dove so he got the dove and he let go of the dove but the dove was soaking wet and he just hopped and waddled off <laughs> instead of instead of flying off and there's, there's outtakes on the on the documentary on the dangerous days documentary and it's it's really quite funny that he's oh, the rugger house there acting his fucking soul out yeah and then he let go of the dove and he goes and it's just, <laughs> just plops onto a puddle yeah it just plops into the, and just goes i can't fly i'm soaked God. through but uh, but yeah so yeah okay um so yeah my final thought is that i fucking love this movie there yeah. you go. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Do you know what? My final thought is basically the same. I bloody loved it. And I look forward to watching it again so I can see all the, these other little nuances and things that I might have missed first time around. Yeah, absolutely want to watch. I mean, this is this was going to be my my defence at the end. If this had gone <laughs> you need to watch it again just, to just understand it. Again. <laughs> just watch it five or six times and you'll love it. I promise see, you. See what happens. We come along and we surprise you. You, yeah you know, and i'm a nervous thing, wreck. actually you know <laughs> we could we could we, we didn't even decide it's like you said earlier as we were recording that it's just sort of happened that we don't tell each other unless there's good reason for stace and i to say <laughs> <laughs> or even for you two to say to each other without saying to me about a favorite film like i didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> but it has just happened that we just don't speak we'll tell each other when we're going to watch it maybe or say hey watching this but mm. we just don't say until we come to record yeah. what we felt, and that's great because it's a, it's uh it's great for fresh reactions. Um, I mean, yeah, these are genuine reactions. I know people yeah. have, said, have said I've had a few people comment about my reactions to the Great Escape Revelation, <laughs> and it's it's oh, I can say it's a good job we weren't on video that it's just audio <laughs> because I, I tried to think what my face was doing. I sometimes think it would be great to be on video to see what our actual reactions would be like, but I think we get lost doing that as well. Mm. <laughs> the amount of faces pulled and stuff. But no, this is this is absolutely a film I'm going to return to um, to watch again, like I just said, when the But also just every now and then, just come back to it to rewatch yeah. and absolutely watch the sequel because now I've seen this one, and I was nervous about going into watching this, not to disappoint like either of you two because. I've already done that. But um, because it is such a massive film, especially in like nerd geek culture, mm. that this is the one you're supposed to like yeah. love. Um, and I have a lot of other nerdy friends that do love it and are shocked that I haven't seen it. And I've had it, I bought it on DVD like two or three years ago, actually probably more than that. And I only just unwrapped it to watch it for this. Um but yeah, no, absolutely bloody loved it. Glad, um, glad to put it forward and got it watched and uh, to get to share it with you guys because that was just great. And glad to have surprised Lee. That's uh, always a <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, that's twice I've got to tear up my notes because I've got, I've got five pages of, but yeah, but no, but you've got to do this. But have you considered but, this, though? <laughs> but yeah, but what about this bit? Well, that's how we did for Blade Runner. Next month, Lee, it's your turn. Yeah, uh, next month, 
is yet another one of my again i'm just setting myself up i think when we do these things i need to remind me next year just to pick stuff i don't like uh, (laughs) because it's another one of my all-time top 10 favorites which is the original planet of the apes so i'm frightened of this one (laughs) so who's who's, prosthetics have either of you seen this have you no no but obviously obviously i've seen like famous bits like you damn dirty apes and yeah that sort of stuff i'll be honest i am scared of the apes that's why i haven't watched it i do not like that those mask prosthetic things so when i said i was scared of watching it it wasn't because i'm afraid that our friendship will fall apart i am scared of this movie (laughs) (laughs) and i'm gonna watch it for you that's how much i love you lee (laughs) and we've already you know we've got through the fact that we didn't enjoy the great escape and our friendship stood the test of time yeah i mean yeah i i I think (laughs) yeah the jury's still out i haven't haven't processed that fully yet i'd like to think that we're the kind of friends that hey we don't always disagree and it'd be a boring world if we did i mean i mean yeah but wouldn't it be peaceful if everybody agreed i'm i'm ready for boredom to be honest imagine what twitter would be like if everybody was just like on the same page oh it'd be brilliant (laughs) it'd be fucking brilliant it'd it'd just be like people agreeing with each other and fun jokes i'd love it Let's do a quick wrap up then. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter and uh, get get better at using the Twitter account to make it we'll, fun. We will be a ray of sunshine on there we for will. years. So you can find the show podcast at neverseen underscore pod. Uh, Stace, where can they find you on the Twitters? Uh, follow me at Stacey's Parlour, where I will be largely retweeting TMNT fan art. <laughs> <laughs> and currently, even though, again, this will come out after I've finished doing it, but currently I'm also watching a horror movie a day for Halloween. Nice. So I'm talking about that a lot too. And that's the kind of thing you like. <laughs> Lee, where can they find you on the Twitters? Uh, I'm at lovelylee underscore G. Lovely. And you can find me at Angel J5. This is us wrapping up on Blade Runner. It was fantastic. We all agree. We're all still friends. Next month is Planet of the Apes, and quite frankly, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> we love you so much. And Charlton Heston, see, I know he's in it. Save it, save it for the next one. Don't, okay. get, don't oh, give it all away. I got excited for a minute there. Whew, calming right back down again. Okay, so we can't wait to watch the film, discuss the film, and bring it to your lovely ears. So until next time, this is Never Seen. Bye.